a Podcast One production. So the narcissist has the ability almost like to follow the social rules as to how we should behave, but underneath there's almost like this Machiavellian agenda that they do it in a way that continues to prop up their own agenda. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. Welcome back to our series on narcissism. This is episode three, Narcissists at Work. In this three-part series, I speak with Dr. Bede Pennell, Associate Professor of Coaching at the Australian College of Applied Psychology, an executive coach and researcher with a PhD in adult development, and a deeply curious human, a brilliant presenter and communicator. Our first episode was Understanding Narcissism. Our second episode explored being in a relationship with a narcissist. And now, B and I are going to discuss narcissists at work. Thanks for coming back, B, to talk about this. I want to describe someone to you so you can help us understand what this behaviour is and what we can do about it. But let me just describe Big noting, so dominating the meeting, actually taking someone else's work and attributing it to themselves, or actually manipulating material to come to them and then for them to use it. Manipulating the truth, so you never said that, actually, this has always been mine. Confusing people in meetings and having multiple conversations across an organisation about a topic and telling different parts of the story and making their team or others that they want to have control over actually feel like they're wrong all the time and that they've done a lot to contribute to what's not working rather than to what's working. This person loves the spotlight and if there's no spotlight, it's actually anger and retribution. So people always, they don't want the anger, so they always put this person up for the spotlight. Can you tell me, is this a narcissist at work? Um, Margie, basically that's classic narcissistic sign and symptoms. Absolutely. So um, one of the things as to how a narcissist shows up at work is this sense of being in the spotlight. They often have a sense of charisma where they put themselves in a position of authority wherever they are in the organisation. And uh, that that quality of taking credit for other people's work is classic narcissistic quality. There's no sense of we're a team, we're in this together. Um, sometimes there'll be a tokenistic acknowledgement of other people's contributions, but actually only in a way that continues to make them look good. So the narcissist has the ability almost like to follow the social rules as to how we should behave, but underneath there's almost like this Machiavellian agenda that they do it in a way that continues to prop up their own agenda. So they're looking for the person with the most authority? Yes. So it's interesting if we put on our kind of psychology hat again, because a narcissist has this underlying deep insecurity from childhood that they were neglected, that they weren't valid, that they weren't important, um, we would presume that as an adult, they're actually constantly seeking approval. It's like they're constantly still seeking mummy and daddy to love and validate them. And so that's a lot of what actually drives their behaviour. So why are they being mean to people if they want people to like them? 
Um, it's usually it's people in power that they're wanting uh, recognition and validation for. People that are either equal or what they would consider lower are usually just kind of food for their fodder. And um, because they don't have that sense of empathy and care, they actually don't really care how other people think. There, there's really this quality of treading on other people's heads uh, to get where they need to go. And if anyone kind of reacts to that and calls them on that behaviour, they have this uncanny ability to turn the blame back on the person that's called them out through lies, manipulating, gaslighting and all these other techniques. So are there any other characteristics? I was describing somebody that a client is dealing with at the moment and they've chosen to leave their job because of that leader. Are there any other characteristics we need to be aware of? Because awareness gives us a choice. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that choice in a moment. But what are the other things that we might become aware of in the workplace? Just this quality of being entitled. It's like it's the, the person doesn't have to earn respect. They're entitled to being seen as the best. Um, they will tend to often dominate conversations. That's how it shows up where because they don't have this sense of uh, empathy and care, they usually show up as very poor listeners unless they demonstrate poor listening to make themselves look good. So that sense of being entitled and um, ignoring others is a key one. Um, and then the other is um, this quality of demanding loyalty. It's very black and white thinking. You're either with me or you're against me. And if someone's against them, then they become like the enemy uh, and they're likely that they'll start to get attacked as a way to kind of push them out of the nest. So the only people that are around them are people that kind of feed into that sense of grandiosity. So B, what happens if your co-workers are narcissists? It's interesting because we often talk about a narcissistic leader and we certainly have people in our media that, that are called labelled narcissists, although they might not have that as a diagnosis. The person who shows these tendencies may not always be the leader, they may be your co-worker. One of the ways that, uh, that we can tell that we're dealing with someone that's narcissistic is they basically are always talking about themselves. So a really simple example is, you know, someone talking about on the weekend, they went fishing, the narcissist jumps in, overrides the conversation and they went fishing and the fish was bigger. You know, it's a very simple example, but this constant self-referencing, it gets really exhausting and, and draining. So that's one way that you can tell if your co-worker or even a colleague is a, um, a narcissist. The other is that the narcissist um, is very sensitive to any kind of criticism and feedback. So as a, as a colleague, even if you're working on a project together and you say something to them about the project that they perceive as negative, they can end up taking that deeply personally to the point where it's a little bit over the top. Uh, and it's like, hey, dude, it's just the Excel spreadsheet. It's not, you know, it's not everything. And, and that's another way that we can tell we're on narcissistic grounds is when someone takes it very deeply personally. The other point with that, though, is that an overt narcissist may actually attack back directly and confront you and, and there's the aggression. But a covert narcissist is someone that's a bit more hidden and rather than them attacking you back, they may end up slightly bullying you, blocking you out of meetings, uninviting you, passive aggressive behaviours and so on. So my description for that is like a snake in the grass. They'll come and bite you when you least expect it. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Anything else if we've got a co-worker someone in our sphere who we feel is a narcissist and we're in their spotlight. There's a lot of ways that we can explore as to how to cope with that. But I guess first, as we're um, unpacking how to recognise that, another tactic that a narcissist can employ, whether it's at work in, in our personal lives, is this idea of flying monkeys. 
So Ooh, what's a flying monkey? Great um, visual there. A flying monkey is they basically have minions around them that are their loyal followers. So they've kind of um, brought them in as like, if you're with me, then you get rewarded. You're part of this in club. And these flying monkeys are almost like cheeky, um, you know, in, the, in their behavior where they're trying to spot who is in and who is out in our circle. They will use gossip um, against people. They'll use lies and deceit and so on. So they're constantly telling a narrative that reinforces the narcissist's own agenda. And so you might be feel like you're just being innocent, you're confiding in, say, a colleague, and all of a sudden they've turned that against you, they've gone and told the boss, for example, you're getting reprimanded and so on because the, your colleague was a flying monkey in that they had this overall allegiance to the narcissist. Oh, that's very, very deep because there's so many recruiting instances I can tell you about. You call it flying monkeys. I talk about people being recruited to be on someone's side mm. and then to cause drama. Mm. So rather than being curious and trying to find a truth mm. or a cooperative nature, they actually are looking for division and for being right. Mm. Is that fair? Absolutely. This, it's this pathological sense of being right. So to admit any kind of wrong almost feels like it's death. It's so strong. Um, so they will defend themselves no matter what, no matter what the impact on others. Which is sort of the opposite of curiosity, isn't it? Mm. And openness. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we've recognised the narcissistic tendencies in co-workers. Now, knowing that we're not clinical psychologists and we're not in a setting to diagnose, but we're recognising and aware of some of the patterns of behaviour. The big question, B, is how do we cope? Yeah, so it is a, it's a big question and it's an important question to take a little bit of time around because there's all sorts of books and YouTube and, and web blogs and things out there that says how you can cope with a narcissist. And most of them have a quality of defending, you know, set your boundaries, walk away and so on. And I think that's actually really important. But I'd like to just sort of make a proposal for thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and actually for you working out where are you at on that hierarchy, which can then determine at what level is your defence. So if you're in a situation where it's survival and you've really got to look out for yourself, particularly if you're in an intimate relationship, you might need to just really walk away um, and step back. You know, that sense of attack just doesn't work. But if you're coping, everything's okay, it's just in the workplace and it's bothersome but not a survival, then I would actually suggest that we try out, you know, Covey's um, habit of to actually try and understand rather than be understood. That only works if we're outside of that kind of survival space, but where we actually ourselves are curious, what's actually driving this behaviour? What's going on here? Remembering again that narcissism is a spectrum. If we're not dealing with narcissistic personality disorder, we're dealing with someone that has these traits, there may be the scope for them turning the volume up and down or ideally turning that volume down if we can actually have more of that curious mindset ourselves. There's a few um, pieces that work and don't work in relation to that because often we will try to get someone who's uh, a narcissist to empathise with us. I'm feeling disappointed right now. I'm really upset right now. I'm overworked and exhausted right well, now. Well, I'm guessing that doesn't, doesn't work. work. So, but it, what actually does work, because remember, although we have someone that at, their, um, at a superficial level has all this bravado, actually we're dealing with a deeply insecure, wounded human. And so if we tune in, as long as we're safe in ourselves and that Maslow's hierarchy of needs idea, 
if we tune in and go, actually, I'm dealing with someone that's deeply wounded, now how might I respond? I know that I can't expect empathy from them, but actually maybe I might not demonstrate it, but maybe in my mind there might be a little bit of empathy towards them. So your mindset shifts rather than defending self or attacking them of actually empathising. Only to the point of then getting clear about what decisions we make. We might not have to be so defensive and attacking. Um, we might actually work So this, this idea of thinking about the system of an organisation. So a narcissist survives because they it's like they're in a web that actually supports. For some reason, the organisation is benefiting from that narcissistic narcissist behaviour. So rather than always trying to attack or defend ourselves directly with the individual, we might work sideways. We might build relationships with other people, build bridges and so on that start to create a bit more space, maybe some accountability and so on. So it's not just us against this lone person. One question here, B. So I know a lot of my clients get drawn into becoming one of those flying monkeys or get drawn in. It's sort of like a seduction or being caught in a rip. All of a sudden you're out mm. and you're there and to extract yourself is really difficult. Are there any tips about how not to get drawn in yep. to that? Yeah. I mean, basically to understand how our nervous system works and how our um, the mammalian part, the mammal part of our brain works. We are designed, we're like pack animals. We're designed to kind of group together for safety, you know, against the saber-toothed tiger or whatever. Um, and so our nervous system is constantly looking out for attack. And if we find a situation where we're safe, then we will tend to huddle together. The narcissist takes advantage of that. The narcissist will um, create this safe haven where if you're part of that, you're drawn into their web and you're part of the gossip, there's other people that are outside that, then actually you can feel safe, you can feel okay, and you won't be personally attacked by the narcissist. So that's a completely okay way of coping, but it usually only works in the short term because ultimately it's likely you might even accidentally do something and then all of a sudden you're, you're off the lifeboat struggling to, to save your life. So are you recommending like a neutralised relationship, sort of not being in the spotlight or out of the spotlight when you have a co-worker who is like that? Well, ultimately, um, what I am recommending is that we become immune to the narcissist, which is another whole really interesting conversation. Can we actually just do our job, show up in a workplace where it's very different in intimate relationship where it's just the two of you, but in a workplace where we can be immune? And the research shows that there are some people that it just doesn't bother them. Someone's all self-centered and grandiose and doing all their little tactics and like it doesn't bother them. And what is interesting is that those people who are immune to narcissism have high self-esteem. They're not reliant on the narcissist validating them, on the narcissist including them. They just do their own thing. And when the narcissist does his, does their temper tantrums or whatever it might be, it's like that's, that's just their behavior. It doesn't hook into anything in them. And so ultimately... I would suggest that the best way for us to navigate this in in workplace uh, environment is for us to really work on our own self-esteem so that we're not hooked in actually wanting their validation, their empathy, their kindness, because we'll never get it. Wow, that's such a powerful statement. So rather than actually battling the narcissist, we're actually spending time on unconditional self-acceptance and our ability to understand and accept ourselves and build our self-esteem. So yes, that's the ideal. Remembering again this idea of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that if everything's going okay, that's easier to implement. But if you're at more of a lower level, then there's a whole lot of great tips that we can use um, to help someone to navigate that. 
So basically, if you find you're um, working with a narcissist and you really need to stand your ground, um, what I'd suggest is you actually document everything. Because of this tendency of gaslighting, which is basically lying and distorting reality, unless you've got everything in writing, all of a sudden you can find your words twisted or, you know, meeting minutes are typed up in a way that didn't actually format what you thought was being said and so on. This twisting of reality is a really important one to counter. Um, the other thing is, of course, knowing your legal rights, that's, that sometimes this sense of um, abuse at work can be such that, and particularly when you're caught into it and exhausted trying to keep up, trying to survive, it's actually knowing that, you know what, I'm actually unemployed for 40 hours a week, anything more than that. If my workload is higher than that, for example, that's actually a case of bullying um, and to engage with HR if appropriate and so on to um, make sure that you're not being exploited in a workplace environment. The other thing just uh, in terms of, the, the kind of high level of emotion that's, that shows up around narcissistic patterns is as much as possible, stay focused on the facts and stay focused on the task at hand. So this is, again, if we cannot get hooked into the drama triangle, mm. not become the victim to the, to the narcissist as the perpetrator, really has a massive impact on our ability to navigate that. Yeah, there are great tips. They're fantastic. So is there such a thing as healthy narcissism? We might see narcissistic traits. I imagine you would say that it's important not to actually create catastrophe around that if you see some traits mm. and you can't diagnose. So we don't tend to use the two words together, healthy and narcissism, because a narcissist by their very nature is deeply insecure, uh, which drives all their behaviour. What I would suggest is that we actually look at the idea of healthy self-esteem and that someone with healthy self-esteem will have a sense of inner security rather than insecurity. They'll be able to emotionally regulate. They'll be able to tune into the emotions of others and at least learn, develop their emotional intelligence around that. But I do think there's some qualities that a narcissist uses at work that we can actually learn from. Their charm, their charisma, their ability to work the room, their ability to shine, their ability to build relationships, their ability to put their best step forward. There's been research that shows that women tend to be um, less focused on that themselves, less into self-promoting, and often then can get um, men can get promoted over them. And I don't want to create a binary there, but there certainly is a quality of learning to be in the spotlight to support your career that I think we can learn from narcissists. And then another thing that we can learn from narcissists is just that sense of inner confidence in getting things done and, you know, moving forward to what they want, what you're wanting rather than um, kind of getting lost in the drama triangle. Uh, I think that sense of, you know, inner authority and plowing forward, I think is a really important one. So B, how do we learn from a narcissist at work? If we're kind of told to run away, it seems mm. counterintuitive. It's, it is certainly challenging because there's almost like this tug of war where you're pulled into the limelight and you're all of a sudden, you know, part of the inner crowd and then you get rejected if you've done something wrong and can really lead to that sense of, you know, am I crazy? Am I, you know, what's going on with me? This is why often when people are working with narcissists, it can send them to therapy or coaching because it's very destabilizing. It's like you're it's like you're standing on ground that's constantly moving underneath your feet and there's this sense of bewilderment, not knowing how to kind of navigate this because everything's always changing. And so one way really to make sense of this is to get very clear with your own boundaries, even in terms of the amount of hours that you might work, um, even in terms of the kind of work that you'll do, even in terms of, you know, reporting um, uh, in terms of who who is responsible for whichever project and so on. So that um, when we override our own boundaries to try and kind of keep the peace, 
uh, then and to avoid this narcissistic attack that comes, then that ends up being a big part of the problem. I imagine it's very tempting to label people who behave badly as a narcissist. What do you recommend we do without labelling everyone who's mean to us as a narcissist? Well, to be honest, in some ways, if we think about the experience of being on the other end of the stick of a narcissist, it's it's huge. It's, you know, we get um, thrown about, we get abused, we get, you know, our work taken from us and all sorts of things. So in some respects, I'm kind of okay with that labelling because it creates already a bit of a distance um, of like, hang on a minute, let's step back and check out this be- person's behaviour. Where is their focus? Um, how honest are they? Um, where are their boundaries? Where's their sense of empathy? Are they acting in a way that's deceptive and so on? And so if we're going to label someone as a narcissist, that we almost do that little checklist as well. So we're not just kind of labeling everyone as a narcissist because it links into what I mentioned earlier that we can get really locked into the blame game, that just as a narcissist will blame everyone else for the faults around us, we can end up blaming the narcissist for all the faults in our own behavior. And that's where we, that's when we're getting really kind of hooked into that dynamic. So as much as possible to not, we might label, but to do it in a way that creates a bit of objectivity, we step back, we might get someone else's opinion, but that we don't move into the same blame game that the narcissist is playing. Great advice. Fantastic. And in summary, what are the main takeaways for us? We're finishing our three episodes on narcissism and this one about narcissism at work, I'm really keen to understand your last tips, how to best cope with narcissists in our life. Yeah, I mean, I hope now we have a bit of a framework around what is narcissism and it's not just about all front, it's not just about being selfish and so on. It's actually this sort of shop front behaviour that underneath is driving insecurity and actually the reason why we get caught in the narcissistic web is, to be honest, because of our own insecurity, which is sometimes really hard to to face. But if we can work on our own insecurity and be strong in our sense of self-esteem, we're less likely to get hooked up into that drama and we can make completely different decisions about the people around us. B. Pinnell, what a pleasure it has been to talk to you over these three episodes. I thought I knew a lot about narcissism, but I've learned so much more. Thank you so much for your time, your research and the ability to communicate a complex topic with such articulate simplicity. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. If this episode has raised any concerns or issues for you, please contact your GP, mental health professional, or reach out to Lifeline on 131114. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.